and welcome to the Everyday Board Game Podcast with your hosts, Daniel. And Daniel. And we also have a featuring a special guest today, another Daniel <laughs> in the board game world, Daniel Salas. Welcome. Thanks for joining the podcast. Howdy. Thanks for having me. So, Daniel, uh, Daniel Salas, I don't know how we're going to do this. We're going to have to <laughs> joke about it. Uh, Mr. Solace is a board game designer, designed quite a few, um, I would say personally innovative games in my opinion. Um, I actually really am impressed by your, like, it, it's a very different design technique that we're going to go into more detail, but, um, you're joining us for one of our board game breakdowns where we like to describe it as a walkthrough memory lane of your board game design. That's our goal. Okay. This is the first one we've done in quite a bit of time, yep. um, just because of a lot of moving and uh, just <coughs> that's right work in general. Yeah, but yeah, you're you're on a, a big list of great game designers, and we are excited to have you on. So thanks for joining us. I'm again happy to be here. I'm just uh, I'm curious to see what I can remember from some of my older titles. Right. No worries. Yeah, we're get, we're going to be going down. Uh, what we like to do is we like to start. Um, from kind of like the oldest games to the newest ones. Um, now, okay. you have a huge history of abstract strategies, which uh, entice me. I love abstract strategies myself. Um, what would you like to... S- we have everything, like the first one, uh, oldest one that I show on Board Game Geek is Coatl. And then uh, help me pronounce yeah. this one. Extrapol... Okay, I'm not going to try. Oh, <laughs> extrapolotic kettle. Extrapolotic kettle. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's <laughs> What is it a reference yeah. to? It's a, it's a Simpsons reference. There was an episode, like I think maybe like season one or two, where they get a giant Olmec head that's stuck in their in their uh, uh, basement, uh-huh. and uh, Mister Burns just calls it Senor Extrapolapa Kettle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I remember I love that. that episode. All right, and I'm just going to go through a couple lists of them. Uh, Tiamat or Tiamat, Selva, yeah. Plastic Glory looks like Plane Crash. Uh, yeah. What do you yeah. want to tell us about these? So, um, for gosh. Uh, for a long time, um, I was in the role-playing game scene, and I, I, it took a significant amount of time for me to realize that I'm not really into role-playing games, because every time I designed one, I made it very systematic, uh, like very mechanical, um, and I always wanted to like remove a GM and remove a lot of like the, the more expressive, expressive elements, and I wanted to get very, very technical. And, and, and some folks around me were just, just said, you should probably just try designing board games and, and I was like oh yeah that's a good idea so um, to, I, I'm a big believer in this um, uh, philosophy uh, from this book called uh, uh, Art and Fear or it's this, it's this old story where um, this uh, pottery teacher was teaching a class and just told one half of the class to uh, just to, just make 10,000 pounds of clay like or, or, or a thousand pounds of clay or a hundred pounds of clay I forget the number I think it's getting mixed up with a bunch of different stories, so call it a thousand pounds. Okay. And then the other half of the class is, uh, was told to just make one perfect uh, pot or base, just something perfect. And the group, of course, that was practicing and practicing and practicing without worrying about the quality of their output ended up getting more skills than the group that was so fixated on making one perfect thing. So toward that end, I kind of devoted myself for a good long while to just making bad abstracts. I, I wasn't really concerned with the quality, and I cannot vouch for any of them being playable right now. <laughs> uh, especially since I was just learning them. Um, so it's good that we're just lumping these all together. I Fair. posted these games on a site that I called Lucha Cabra, um, and that site I saw is no that. longer... Yeah. Uh, it's, it's no longer... Uh, I think it's on um, archive.org. 
it's a, you can search for it there. But um, it was a mashup of Luchador and and uh, Chupacabra, so Lucha Cabra. Oh. Um, and <laughs> so that was like the the blog that I saved a bunch of these abstracts on. And um, and gosh, uh, that was very educational for me because I was just kind of uh, I was designing stuff, uh, practicing with components. I was really constraining my focus to what I could do with small pieces. Um, and I learned a lot. Um, and um, in, one, in one case in spe- uh, specific, I should thank the website, itsyourturn.com. I'm not sure if they're still around, but they were one of the very first sites where you could play uh, games um, online asynchronously. And uh-huh. they just had a bunch of abstracts, and that was where I, I learned so many rules for a bunch of very interesting, um, like lesser-known abstract games out there. And that's where I started, like picking up little things where I can modify this. What if I change this rule and, and making games that way? Um, so yeah, that was like a long journey to get to a point where I, I realized, um, okay, so this, these are the pitfalls to avoid, and um, and hopefully I can avoid them in the future. So you, when you started designing these abstract strategies, your, your, your ultimate goal was to do game design from what I understand yeah. of this, right? Wow. Okay. So you did your own crash course. Was there any of them that uh, you want to highlight specifically, like maybe one that you're proud of or, or one that you like to use as an example of what you learned from? Anything along those lines um, that are worth noting? <laughs> oh boy. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're asking me to go back to, to my macaroni art, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, i i got to say, I love some of these titles. Um, I think, is Meatball Massacre one as well? It has its own cover, but I wasn't sure. Oh, Meatball Massacre was... Uh, or Meatbot. Uh, I helped... Um, so, that's, that's a funny story. Uh, another designer named Greg Stolze. Okay. Um, the designer of Unknown Armies, uh, Rain. Um, he designed the One Roll Engine. Um, and he's a... He's a very uh, prolific writer. Uh, he writes a lot of uh, fiction and novels and stuff. Um, but uh, he designed a game called Meatbot Massacre that was uh, like big, uh, like meat robots that were doing that. <laughs> I love that. And uh, and I, I I can't recall what I did for uh, for that. I, I think uh, this is back when I was in college. I think I was even a freshman in college, and I was like, you know what, this is cool. Do you want a, a game board or or something? And I designed that for him as like a favor. I'm not sure why I'm, uh, that's on my list as like designer necessarily. I'm, I'm definitely not a designer of that game. Okay, that's fair. I and forgive us if we bring up some of those. I did see one of them throughout looking uh, the other day that you're one of like I want to say about twelve designers or something. You, I think you made like a solo version of the game. We'll get to that when it comes across. So if there's any of those, feel free to tell us to skip. Um, but like Kaiju Grand Prix, Giant Freaking Worms, uh, <laughs> Conversion. I love these names. See, see why I'm. <laughs> C Y uh C M Y K is that um oh, yeah. uh cyan, magenta, yellow, is that a Q on that, I'm guessing? Yep, yep, it sure is. Um yeah, now that you got me looking at my list and <laughs> some completely forgotten. Oh, um Yeah, gosh, wow, I, I, I totally forgot about this. Yeah, there's this game called like, uh White Collar Battle. Yeah. yeah, White Collar Battle. Um, that was a game where I, I kind of was inspired by that. There's that awful scene in um, American Psycho where they're comparing business cards. And yes. So fixated about like the the paper quality and the uh-huh. print of, of his rival's business card. Uh-huh. And I got the I got the the dumb idea of like, okay, what if people just had their business cards at a convention, which they which they used to right. have back in 2006 when, when I designed this. And what if the numbers on those business cards actually meant something? You could play a game with that and 
And so everyone's business card just by just organically were their stats to play a game. <laughs> um, and and that was that was the, the impetus of, of that idea. And that, that was a lot. That was basically like a lot of what I was doing was just like, hey, what if this was a thing? And you just took a thing in the real world and made a game out of it. Um, and I mean, the, the results of it were, were not, like, again, not really the point of it. It was more of a, a yeah. practice and learning. And the only reason I posted these online to, to be public was uh, a degree of like personal accountability so that I could, I could keep at it and, and show my progress if, if there was any progress, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely think so. I, I will give you props to Royal Ur Game of Ur. Um, I love that oh. title. As a fan of Royal Game of Ur, I love that. Um, <laughs> yeah, dude, these are these are hilarious. I love this. Um, I see procession. I'm double checking if that it only has a cover on it, so we're just quickly looking through. But uh, you said uh, that the first there was a uh -huh. yeah, there was one game called Mirrorwing. I think it might, might be fun to talk about Mirrorwing. Yeah, foreshadowed sure. a lot of stuff that was going on um, later on. Um, so the uh, if you notice the, uh, the picture that's on the listing for mirror wing, each yep. of the pieces is in the shape of a the movement of a standard chess piece. Um, oh, so I see. The, so the L shapes move like knights. Mm -hmm. The X's move like bishops. Um, the plus signs move like uh, rooks. And that there's a central piece that's basically a queen that that looks like a queen. It has little pokey outfits on all, all of the sides. So the idea was that um, that would be a little reminder of how how the piece moves, but those pieces could stack on top of each other, and then the one riding the other um, had some kind of effect on it. Where, uh, as I recall, the bottom piece um, allowed movement, uh, but the capturing was based on the rider. I, I, can't, I can't remember the exact details of it. It was a weird, it was a weird idea, but that's the kind of thing where um, I, I started uh, definitely getting more into the idea of um, the visual presentation of a game actually having a, a mechanical influence on it. Oh wow, yeah, and you know what? I I already force foreshadow one of the. I see one of the games coming up that we're going to be talking about. One of the the first game that I personally played that was of your design, um, which we're going to be talking about here in a bit, Kodama. I kind of see that same element in oh, yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. Mirrorwing is yeah. <laughs> the, the, and, and I had not realized that those were chess movements, but that's actually a really a really cool way to do that, in my opinion. All right, so let's go uh, first to your first design. I'm trying to find it on Board Game Geek. I see a couple of covers: Embargo, Pebble Rebel, Utara, Pip Pip. The first published one. Yeah, you said uh, Velociraptor Cannibalism. That's uh, that's an I'm interesting not a name. On that. I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a game designer on that. Gotcha. <laughs> some of these, I think, some of these attributes or attributions come from back when Board Game Geek didn't have a credit for graphic designer. And that's, sometimes oh, that's right. You were also graphic design. So yeah, right. real quick while I find Bell of the Ball, um, talk to us about your graphic design background. Oh, gosh. Um, so I went to school for graphic design, um, and that's where my first real job was in. Um, I, uh, for about 10 years, I was in the advertising business. Um, and, uh, after, after that amount of time, I was just kind of, uh, this is around when I got out of the ad business was right around the time that, um, Facebook and a lot of like, I did tracking was just getting big and I was, I was just getting icky vibes from the whole industry around that point. Sure. Um, yeah. so, so I decided for a career change and, uh, I went freelance, um, just being a freelance graphic designer, uh, focusing on helping 
other people uh, designed their uh, their board games and card games. And um, so I was, I was doing a lot of rule books, uh, cards, boards, uh, doing a lot of work for um, Evil Hat Productions. Uh, okay. That's uh, so that was like my first big break in terms of um, like board game layout. Um, and after about a few years, of, after three or four years of, of freelancing, I got hired by uh, Indie Boards and Cards, um, who were also the publishers of Kodama, um, to, to be the graphic designer for, for a lot of their stuff. Uh, it helped out with the redesign of uh, Aeon's End, um, and, uh, and I helped design a bunch of their uh, smaller titles um, over, the, over the course of about two or three years. Um, then I got hired by WizKids Games to be their art director, and I've been with WizKids since uh, 2019, I think. Uh, oh. and, um, and at WizKids, I'm primarily involved with updates to a bunch of the uh, a bunch of the board game branding and, and uh, presentation. Um, but I've also got duties uh, working on HeroClix, um, Dice Masters, uh, a lot of the miniatures and uh, and the packaging and all that stuff, like the stuff that's completely unrelated to actual like board games, uh, which used to be our focus. It's much more broadly in the the, the hobby market, uh, right? So mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So you yeah, that, you that's work long. It's a short story, really long. <laughs> right? Do you, um, I believe. Zev is he still at WizKids? If I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Zev is a good guy. I got a chance to meet him a couple years ago during a convention. Really neat, interesting fellow. So now I, I mean, I'm a big fan of WizKids now, <laughs> even more so. Um, so I'm going to list off a couple of titles that are here. Uh, feel free to stop me. Like again, it's probably when Board Game Geek wasn't like sure about graphic design or actual design, but uh, Nine Lives card game. Um, uh, I did do that one, yeah. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the beginning of a di- of a new chapter too. Um, while I was uh, freelancing, I was designing um, a bunch of. I decided to like focus all of my attention on card games, um, just because I like the constraint of that, and just figuring out what how much stuff I could do with cards. Um, and that was around the time that I found this uh, website called Drive Through Cards, which is still around, and they're they're great. Um, I recommend them all the time. They're a print-on-demand service that focuses exclusively on cards, and the card quality mm. is fantastic. It was the best that I, that I could find at the time, and it, it still holds up today. Um, but um, what the funny thing is, as I was working on on new games like Nine Lives, uh, I found that the most economical number of cards I could I could produce was around fifty-ish. Okay. Um, so I made a bunch of games that hovered around that number of, of cards, um, and Nine Lives was just one of those. Very cool. So this was Night Lives was one of the first ones that you really started working with yeah. uh, Drive Through Cards. Very cool. Yeah, Lotties were self published. Um, so Nine Lives, the idea was that uh, you were trying to uh, rescue cats from uh, mm-hmm. uh, from like the street, um, and in doing so, you're also trying to avoid getting scratched. So uh, it was this trade off. I, I, I found that in a lot of like set collection games. It was never a downside to just getting more cards, just hoovering up as many cards as you, as you could. So I wanted some kind of deterrent, and the thematically, I just like the idea that you're okay. You're trying to capture all these cats and bring them, bring them home, but you're going to get scratched in the process, and you're just trying to get the, the least number of scratches as, as part of the gameplay. Awesome, <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. I mean, you find a part that's not working in a in a game. Yeah, there's I every set collection game that I know of, like I gather as much as you can like take it a ride i have a hand of probably like 30 cards before i start playing anything <laughs> that's that's yeah. a good point 
Um, I also see uh, Suspense the Card Game and Storyteller Cards. Uh, Storyteller Cards, I I don't think I was involved with that. Um, yep. I think maybe may just my graphic designer, but uh, Suspense I definitely uh, worked on. Uh, that, that was me. Um, so that was a that was a funny funny idea. I, this is around the time of micro games being a big thing, like mm-hmm. uh, Love Letter. Mm. Um, so I wanted to give, like try my hand at an eighteen card game, and um, the whole idea was that. Oh boy, uh, let's see if I can remember the exact rules. Uh, this, this goes way back here. Um, <laughs> so the idea is that so the idea is that um, it's only thirteen cards, and uh, and they have numbers on them and stars on them, and um, the uh, the deduction game where every player has uh, four cards. And the last card is face down in the middle of the table. Um, and that card um, has a victory condition on it. Um, and in the pro- because you have four cards in your hand and you see a bunch of victory conditions in your hand and you, uh, and you know that other players have X number of cards in their hand, um, in the process of revealing a card, you also show a number so that, that number's in play, but you also reveal a victory condition that, is, uh, that you know for sure is not in the center of the table because that is the central uh, card that's hidden. So in the, it's, it's weird. You're trying to deduce what the victory condition of the game is as you play it, and, and in doing so, you have to reveal more information to the other players that helps them deduce what it is, too. Uh, it's, uh, it's weird. It, it, was, it was an experiment. Um, I, I, think I, I think I probably like pulled as much gameplay as I could from that few number of components, um, and I'm not sure I was completely successful, but it was good enough that it was uh, released in... Uh, Brazil as a game called Emboscada that had some really cool looking artwork uh, associated with it. Um, I think it got picked up in China too, um, but I think it was part of like a, a, a larger Kickstarter game. It was like a bonus game that was part of another um, a deal. A lot of these games that I, that I self-published um, around this time got picked up by um, Japanese or Chinese publishers before they got picked up um, by uh, American publishers. It was, it was a weird order to do things, but just oh. worked out. <laughs> hey, but I mean, if you had contacts, right, in, in the publishing world, yeah. if that, I think that makes sense. Uh, Daniel, want to take yeah. the next one? Uh, the next one we're seeing here is uh, Koi Pond, a Koi card game. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, this is probably the, uh, the the biggest game I self-published. Um, and it, got, it went through a couple of different revisions, but the, the central idea was that um, you're, uh, you're catching koi fish from a pond um, and you're bringing it into your little personal garden. And there are three zones that you have. You have... A, uh, a display in front of you, and you have uh, you have cards in hand, and you also have a personal discard area. And the idea was that you would, you would um, as I recall, it was that you uh, you take three cards and you have to decide where um, you take your cards into your hand. And so you have a growing hand of cards. You have to choose three cards. Um, one of them goes into the display. One of them goes into the discard, and one you just keep in your hand. So that that's that's what starts building up your hand. Okay. Um, and and so, like, that was the core loop of it, and that was where I, w- I was trying to make a game that was um, as uh, peaceful as possible, um, while still being somewhat um, strategically interesting, um, just, just because there were, there were different scoring conditions based on stuff that you had in each display, and, um, and there's there some expansions to it, and, and some promo stuff that uh, modified the scoring conditions, but... But the, the, the core conceit was just these um, take three, put like put three down, and then you score based on various things there. Um, and it was um, 
it, it was a it was cool partly because I got a chance to uh, do this nice inkbrush artwork um, yeah. and just play around with that. Yeah, we were just looking at some of the cards, and they're we're, gorgeous. We're admiring the art on it. I, I think... I, I know you say you're a graphic designer as well. Do you consider yourself an illustrator? I try not to. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. I, I, work with, I work with illustrators all the time um, I, as, part, as part of my job. And uh, so I hesitate to call myself one because I, I, I work with folks for, for whom this actually is a profession. I can maybe... I can do a small little hobby thing here and there, but it's by, sure. by no means something that I would... I would like label myself as that's fair awesome and uh go ahead and take the next one too but uh so the next one i'm seeing here is 10 pin oh yeah 10 pin um (laughs) so after after a couple of these like very mentally intense games i decided to just make a dexterity game um and the uh so uh you have these cards that are penguins that are sliding across the table or the iceberg uh-huh. Um, and there's a deck of treats that are um, that you're aiming towards. And so the idea is that you'd have a. I, I happened at the time to have a, a long coffee table. Um, so the idea is that you would sort of like, um, if you imagine the the table and a card hanging about halfway off of the table, you would kind of like slap the card and it would slide across the table and hopefully get close to the close to the deck. And players would would launch these penguins um, over, over the course of several turns, and then after all of the penguins were, were launched, um, what whatever penguins remained um, would get first dibs on the treats based on how close they were to the iceberg. <laughs> um, so that was it. Like that, would, and and I think there was like a there was like different little like triangular scoring or different set collection things uh, based on different treats, but it was very dead simple at that point. It was, it was mainly a dexterity game. Uh, I was really looking for like something that would be appealing to a, to us, like a younger family crowd. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, to find me a copy of this game. That sounds fun. Very cool. Yeah, no, that, I mean, I'm a sucker for, for ridiculous dexterity and that's right up my alley. hundred percent. All right. Uh, the next one, <laughs> excuse me, on our list is Solar Senate. Oh yeah. Um, gosh, yeah. Okay. Now, now I'm struggling to remember some of these. Uh, Solar Senate, I, as I recall, was I probably stretched the limits of what cards could do a little bit far on this one. Uh, I think this probably should have been a maybe a um, uh, just an abstract uh, tile game or a board game um, because this game uh, specifically called for you to fold up some cards in order to play in order to uh, be. Um, like a movable piece on oh, I see. Grid of yep. cards. Um, and so, you know, some, some players are just reluctant to damage their cards in that way. Um, and of course, I allowed for um, just, you know, using pawns you happen to have around the house, but um, it, it, it often stretched a little bit far. I can't remember the exact, um, exact gameplay, but um, more than anything, I think it was a lesson that uh, I should probably just, like, work work with what cards do best rather than try to make cards do things that they're not that great at. Right, yeah. I mean, I've only seen that work well, like in uh, Rhino Hero, for example. But, I mean, that yeah. those cards are not... I wouldn't... I'd be hard-pressed to call those cards. <laughs> they're bored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, at that point. Very cool. Um, Regime is the next one on my list. Yeah, Regime. Uh, oh, boy. Uh... <laughs> and again, any of these that you want to yeah. skip, that's fine. Uh, I'm just going up the up the list. Uh, yeah, I think Regime was this... Um... What was I trying to do with Regime? Oh, no, I remember now. Uh, 
you know, honestly, uh, this one can be skipped because there was another game that is being, uh, I'm not sure if it's, if it's uh, ever got published, but it was in active development where um, I, a, a group was working on this um, uh, historical, um, like American Revolution game uh, that uh, that they were that they were calling regime, and they were like, "Hey, is it okay if we use that title? We really like the title." And I was like, "Yeah, sure. I'm not doing anything with this card game. Go ahead." <laughs> um, I, yeah, I can't remember. Honestly, I just do not remember what I was doing with this game. <laughs> no worries. How about a uh, penny farthing catapult? This one, I do know. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, Penny Farthing Catapult was um, my experiment in Newtonian physics, um, where um, the idea the idea was that you had this uh, catapult that was on wheels and, and didn't have any brakes. So when you launched something, it pushed you backwards the same distance with the same force that uh, that you launched um, your uh, payload, I guess. Okay. Uh, and so. And so the idea was that it would, it would just be these cards in a circle where you're picking up stuff and then you're launching stuff. And the number that is on the card that you launched would move around away from you um, a certain distance, the distance being that, that number. Mm-hmm. But then you, your, your catapult would also move the opposite distance, that, um, that, that same uh, number of spaces. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, with multiple players, you'd have multiple catapults moving around the course, uh, ideally aiming at each other to, to hit each other's catapults, um, but also trying to position themselves to a, into a position where they would get better ammo from around from around the board because they're trying to get to, you're trying to pick up that stuff. Uh, but in order to do so, you have to get there. Um, and that game uh, eventually was redeveloped years later to become Junk Orbit, yeah. where uh, we can get to that um, later on. But... Yeah, that, that was one of the games I made, I made during this period that eventually got redeveloped into something new. Yeah, definitely. As soon as you started talking about that, I'm like, okay, let's see where yeah, this yeah, is I was going. Like, yeah, it sounds a bit that. familiar. Uh, Monsoon yeah. Market is the next one we're seeing here. Yeah, uh, Monsoon Market came out of my um, my love for uh, Jaipur. Um, like, I just absolutely <laughs> love the, the two-player game Jaipur. Yes. I just wanted to have something that was uh, played with more, more players. Because uh, I love Jaipur for, for two, but I, you know sometimes I, I won't play with a group of four. Yeah. Um, so I, I just tried to I tried to get some of that um, element of the central market to um, to be workable with with four players. It was a nice game, fairly, fairly straightforward, but um, that was eventually redeveloped into a game um, from uh, Oni Press uh, and Renegade Games called uh, Space Battle Lunchtime, which do you have a copy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll be talking about that very soon. I just recently got a chance to play it. That's right. I I didn't realize till now. It's it's reimplemented. Awesome. All right, go ahead and take uh, the next one as well. Uh, so the next one we're seeing is Light Rail. Yeah, uh, Light Rail and uh, Light Rail Downtown. Um, these are uh basically like a route building games, kind of like a Metro or um uh oh uh, what's the uh, San Francisco one uh, cable car? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, one of those deals where, uh, honestly, part I, I started with the title um, because I, I wanted to have a rail game that was that was uh, light, and so light rail was right there. Um, right. But uh, but that uh, that was a game where uh, again I should probably have tried to make this a tile game before I made it a card game. It works with cards, and I, did, I think I did my best with what cards do in this case. Um, but they're they're. The cards are just different arrangements of colored paths, somewhat resembling a subway map, very, very loosely. 
Um, and uh, the way you the way you score points is um, just by having um, a little mission cards. You play your mission, little mission cards, and as long as you've achieved the conditions of that of that card, that um, on the map, then uh, you score points for that. That one was very very simple, and it did get picked up by a publisher and, and slightly redeveloped. Um, but unfortunately, that publisher um, was bought by another publisher before the game could be released. So mm. um, their their revision of it never never uh, became public. So I'm still looking for someone to pick this up, and maybe we can carry on some of the ideas that um, came out of that um, late stage development into a a, a full proper game. But uh, yeah, that, that, one's, that one's a nice one. I always liked how, how that one looked on Sable, at the very least. Yeah, we're, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of like the very highlighted, like neon <laughs> colors and stuff. That, that was very pretty. Um, uh, the next one we're going to talk about probably very briefly because I see that it was re-implemented by probably one of your biggest names. Uh, that's Kiki. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kiki. Uh, or Kiki, is, sorry. Is, yeah, um, it's a... Uh, God, how to describe it... Um, it, it looks like an inkbrush painting of, of a tree, uh, like a cherry blossom tree. Um, and, uh, and so you lay down cards in an organic fashion. Um, it's not on a grid. All you have to do is when you lay down a card, that uh, the branch on one card has to connect to the branch of the previous card. So it looks like a tree kind of growing and, and splitting off. Um, this idea came from a James Ernest game. Um, uh, he's, he's the creator of uh, Cheap Ass Games from back in the day. He was a huge inspiration for me um, when I was doing my abstracts and, and, and then later when I was doing my card games. Um, he had a game called Agora that was, um, that was like, uh, how to, as, as I recall, the theme was that he, he has these kind of like some, somewhat grim themes um, that it would, it would be this marketplace in ancient Greece that would occasionally burn down. Uh, and, uh, and then and it would come back. Um, but uh, but the cool gimmick of that game was that the cards could be played organically. And so um, uh, you could lay them out however you wanted, and the negative spaces around cards mattered in that game. And I thought that was kind of like a cool idea. I wanted to do something with that that uh, core like mechanic with a different theme and, and, and different scoring and stuff. Um, so that's where Kiki came from, mainly. Very cool. All right. And now we are coming up to... Uh, what you said was pretty much your first published. And this one is Bell yeah. of the Ball. Yeah, Bell of the Ball. Um, I, I have to thank uh, Dice Eat Me Games uh, for giving giving me a shot with this, because I pitched a very different version of this game uh, way earlier, and it was terrible. It was just not good. <laughs> and they, they were very patient uh, and kind enough to let me pitch it again uh, when it was a much more streamlined uh, game. Um I mean that said, it's been uh, it's almost been ten years since this was published, and there's definitely a lot I would do differently. But uh, I mean, it, it it is of its time, and uh, I, I'm still proud of uh, what it was what it eventually led to in terms of uh, the rest of my career. Uh, the, the core uh, gameplay of it was that um, you're uh, you're hosting a party, and there's a line of guests approaching, um, and you're trying to pair up or group up guests um, with similar interests so that uh, they're happier and you score points for, for those matching interests within that within those groups. Um, along the way, you're also picking up uh, favors from uh, from the bell of the ball that allow you to like move cards around and, and score things a little bit differently and expand groups. A lot, a lot of like, you know, kind of basic stuff that I think a lot of like beginner designers would, would have probably done too. There's nothing really like groundbreaking in it. Um, the, the main thing I liked about it was that uh, it took the, the line drafting idea from 
uh, Guillotine, uh, mm-hmm. the Paul Peterson game. I love yeah. that. I love that game yeah. back in the day. Um, and I want to get that same idea, but with something a little bit less gory. Uh, and and so I just kind of like the idea of that, of like queuing up and um, doing a little bit of line drafting and stuff. It was, it was, that was a fun thing. I, I do like the tagline for this one, a fancy schmancy card game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I got to also give uh, full credit to Jackie Davis. Uh, she, uh, she's she gone on to like have a huge career in board game illustration uh, since then. But uh, I think this was one of her, her very first uh, uh, board game uh, jobs. And I'm like extremely lucky to have worked with her because she did like I think 70 different illustrations for this. Oh, wow. Like fancy characters. Like there was no way that we could have gotten Jackie Davis to do that now. <laughs> that was a wild thing to have asked for. And she and she of course knocked it out of the park. It was great. Um, so many many thanks to her as well. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I I love the art. It's almost like uh, I don't want to say Disney esque because I I know like there's a very big contention about it. But like I mean, it's like it's kind of like almost like classic cartoon, but it's very almost yeah. traditional, but in a very modern way. I love it. Yeah, but we definitely want something approachable and friendly. For sure. All right. Next one on our list here is ARF, the game of picky puppies. Oh, yeah. Um, ARF is um, it is one of my self-published games. It never got picked up, but the, I think, uh, honestly, it's not a, not a great game, but the idea was that I, uh, I wanted to do an auction game, um, but um, uh, kind of carrying on the idea of um, Nine Lives. I think around this time, uh, I was volunteering at an animal shelter, and I was... Uh, I was uh, socializing puppies. Um, I was like working with puppies to get them to be adoptable. Um, yeah. And the, the issue with a lot of these, a lot of puppies that were in the shelter is that um, they're very cute, but um, they're not uh, they're not like great first impression um, puppies. They, mm-hmm. they would like nip at you, or they would like bite or whatever. Um, and so a lot of it was just okay, teaching them to sit, teaching them to play. Um, teaching them how to like just look cute and, and, <laughs> and like, uh, go home with somebody. Um, and part of that process is that you have to figure out exactly what it is the puppy is, is uh, responding to. Are they food motivated in particular? Um, and I kind of like the idea of making an auction game where the, the thing that you're offering for as a bid is something is like a type of currency um, that appeals to these puppies that are trying to, that you're trying to get adopted. Um, but they only respond to certain things. So some of them, want food some of them want cuddles um some of them j- just want shelter and they're they just, that's all they're specifically looking for just want to feel safe um i think those are the three like things that that you can offer um, yeah, so... to these puppies and uh, and those puppies then come to you but uh, this is one of those experiments that i that i made where i wanted to put a lot of information onto onto each card so mm-hmm. all the puppies and all the bidding things are on the same card so you have like cards represented different things depending on which area of the, of the game they were in. I can't say that that was like the best idea. It was just an experiment. Again, I was trying to limit my, a lot of my components to 50 cards and sometimes that led to a little bit too much compression for, for like utility, but it was, it was a fun experiment. Well, I mean, 2014, that multi-use cards weren't incredibly common around 2014, right? And, and I would definitely classify that as a multi-use card system yeah. and... Now, yeah. you know, most games, a lot of games have multi-use, and it's kind of like one of those big synonymous ones. Um, now, this one, actually, I can't believe I didn't bring this one. Um, a bunch of different versions of Trickster, which I know yeah. later got published. 
Yeah, um, Trickster was um, my attempt, my first attempt, I think I've done this a couple of times now, where I wanted to make a system and release multiple decks uh, of cards within that system um, that could be interchangeable with each other. Um, and so the, the idea was that this is a game where uh, it's a trick-taking game, but I didn't want to have ranks, um, so no numbers. And right. so the, the primary question is, how do you make a trick-taking game where there's no ranking at all? And the idea was that um, I lifted one idea from a game called Little Devils, where the uh, uh, lead player... Uh, you, know, you know the game? That's we, one of my favorite games. Devils, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so the idea is that um, so the lead player plays a card, just like in Little Devils. But mm -hmm. The second player is the player that has all the power. Um, in, in my game, I call that player the trickster, because um, when you play a card, uh, you're putting out a, um, a, uh, a, a color of card uh, and I can't remember exactly what the what the what the, uh, the three conditions are. Um, it's uh, every the, card has a character on it, and every card has a uh, has a color or, or a suit. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so the idea is that so uh, the first player plays a card. Second player, if they play the same suit or the same play the same character, um, or they played completely different, that set the pattern for what every other player has to play out of their hand. So if you played blue and then um, uh, and then the trickster played uh, played blue, then everybody has to play a blue card from their hand. Yeah. Um, but if the trickster played the same character, like you played a bard, they played a bard, then every player has to play a bard um, out of their hand. Um, if they played something completely different, then everybody has to play something completely uh, played something different than what is already played. So not just different from what the last player played, but completely yeah. unique um, in in the trick. Um, and every character had a special power that would trigger as soon as you played it as well. Um, and that would move cards around from, from uh, different areas of the game and stuff. And it, it gets more complicated from, uh, from there, but yeah. every deck, um, the idea was that uh, every deck would give you a, a new cast of characters. Um, and uh, as a result, I could refine the experience of gameplay for, for each deck um, to be a little bit different from each other. So some of the decks were very take that. Um, some of the decks were much more like subtle and would change some scoring um, or some different interactions. And uh, I ended up releasing four of these decks um, and, uh, on, uh, on drive-through cards. And a, a few of these ended up getting um, uh, picked up and uh, redeveloped for Trickster Champions of Time that was released mm -hmm. by uh, Indie Boards and Cards. Yeah, very good. Yeah, no, that's... I'm I I a sucker for that kind of I haven't shown you this, have I, yet? Because I know I've told you about this. No, I you haven't shown it to me. I yet. will fix that soon. Because <laughs> I, I own this, and I that was, I stand corrected. That might have been the first one. I played that before Kodama, even. Oh. All right. So, the next one on our list here is the Princess B Bride, as you wish. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, this was actually funny. Um, I, I never ended up releasing this. So I never ended up self-publishing this. Um, there was just a call from. Uh, game salute at the time to um, to just get any uh, light card games that, that you happen to have that could theoretically be themed for Princess Bride. They haven't had the license at the time, um, and so uh, I pitched them this uh, card game that I had in my kind of my archives for for a while uh, that was more than fifty cards. That's why I never ended up putting out on uh, driving cards because it would have been cost prohibitive to do so. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but it works great for if you're retail publishing, um, and so I pitched it. They accepted it. Um, and I, I think it was one of the better games in that in that series that was released by Game Salute. Um, but it, it is 
course, it's a very light game. Um, it, it's uh, pretty, pretty simple. You're basically remixing different scenes and characters from *For the Princess Bride* to make your own little personal quest uh, quest line. Story. Okay. Uh, it is also again me trying to deal with the uh, the set collection thing, where just hoovering up cards is always good. Um, I wanted to uh, put little poison counters on on some cards to uh, to deter just grabbing as many cards as you as you possibly could. Um, so that was that was the idea. Is that um, uh, if you played a game, if you played any kind of like uh, I cut you choose games where some cards are hidden, like uh, Tussie Mussy mm-hmm. or um, uh, the Big Split is is another one. Um, this is kind kind of like that where some card, you're offering cards out to the, to the rest of the group. Some of them are face down, and so you're trying to decide: oh, do I take the face down card and risk any poison that might be on it, or just go for the go for the sure thing that the you know the danger that I know, and and take that instead. Um, and that and that was the idea: is like you're you're trying to avoid poison while still taking cards. And same idea, different game. Very cool. <laughs> and uh, we we saw Pod X. That was also re-implemented from uh, Suspense, like you talked about earlier. Yep. So we'll move on to the next one. Uh, uh, unless you... ongoing, uh, yeah. no, it was, a, it was an ongoing partnership with uh, with uh, Button Shy Games. Uh, they're very kind to to redevelop and expand expand some of the ideas from from suspense to to make that game. It was cool. Very cool. All right, so now let's talk about one of your biggest ones, uh, Kodama, which we already briefed on Kigi, but I think this yeah. warrants at least its own its own brought up because there is uh, Kodama Duel, there is Kodama 3D. There's a lot of different versions of this. So let's break down Kodama. Yeah, uh, so I had Kiki for a long time, um, and uh, gosh, uh, let me remember the timeline here. Um, the uh, the two owners of a publish a publishing studio called uh, Action Phase Games uh, happened to like uh, happened to like that prototype, and they wanted to publish it. And um, I think they were uh, mainly looking for a different theme for it that would still kind of have the original vibe, but. Um, have a different appeal. Um, in particular, they wanted to have a, uh, a way to score points and a reason to score points that was that meant something thematically uh, in gameplay. Mm-hmm. So the idea was that um, after some discuss- discussion, I pitched this um, Princess Mononoke-inspired theme where you have these forest spirits and they live in this tree that you're creating and you're just trying to create the best home for them to live in, something that they would really like. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, this is actually one of my favorite games that you've uh, designed. I it's so gorgeous. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I really like how how uh, they they re-implemented it for um, Kodama 3D. Uh, I, I played a prototype of that of that game, um, and originally the theme of that game was like uh, stacking crabs uh, underwater. <laughs> all, the, all the pieces were like crabs that had little claws, and so the, cra- the claws would like stick onto other crabs, and they would just kind of like pile up. Um, so, but I think the tree shape ended up looking a lot nicer. <laughs> yeah, that's a. I mean, again, it's a unique theme, but yeah, yeah. I, I agree with the with the choice of the Kodama. 3D. I, I do want to try the Kodama 3D because it just looked cool. I, we just saw a picture of the tree right now. <laughs> and so yeah. viewers on our on our podcast watching us live and later for the video, we'll be able to see a quick picture of that. Very good. We are in the last well, page. I sh- I sh- I should be clear that I did not design Kodama 3D. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, our next big one, let me jump down to the bottom here. All right, so this is uh, also from Friends of the Podcast, Level 99 Games. I can't even with these and fill in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
so this is my second attempt at making a, a system, uh, uh, a game system. Um, I kept, I kept trying to, trying to crack that, uh, that nut, um, but, uh, <laughs> this was a, this was a, a cool idea where, um, I took that as the same, um, uh, I split you choose, uh, with some, with some face down cards idea, um, where, uh, you're trying to score points, but you can only score points if you have an odd number of points. Yep. Um, otherwise, can't you're even. ineligible mm-hmm. for winning. So you literally <laughs> can't even. Uh, that's, that's the whole idea. It's, I don't know. I, I love it. Holds, I don't know if the title holds up anymore. These days, I would probably change it to just get even. That, I think that probably lasts a little bit longer. So just, and all you have to do is just flip yeah. the, uh, the, the victory condition in that case. But um, this was inspired by games like um, uh, Why First, uh, where... Oh, yeah. Why first? You you only score points if you're in second place, and you can only win the game if you have the second most points. Yeah. Um, and it just completely breaks your brain. Um, and so I wanted to have something similar here, where um, you're always one point away from victory or defeat, no matter what your point value is at any particular time. Um, so uh, so I made a couple of different uh, decks based on that central premise. The first of which was uh, I can't even with these monsters. Um, and uh, basically, every uh, every uh, monster that, that that is in the game, you can collect them, and they score points in different ways as soon as you collect collect that uh, that monster. Um, I extended this to uh, superheroes as well, with different uh, superhero mm-hmm. characters. And theoretically, this was such an abstract theme that it could have just gone on with um, with any kind of like set of characters that you, that you could think of. Yeah. Um, the uh, monster theme was picked up by Level Ninety Nine Games, um, and they and they released that. Uh, Gosh, back in 2018, maybe, maybe 2017. Um, but uh, but they but uh, the other sets, uh, supers, and I think there was a couple other sets that was, was that were in the works. Spectacular uh, supers, marvelous uh, supers. Standard of uh, going going out to retail. Oh, very cool. All right. Uh, next one we're showing here is Curse You, Robin Hood. Oh yeah. Um, so I can talk about that briefly. It, it's a very um, uh, that game was my experiment with uh, AI players, um, where the idea was that you'd have this very light card game, um, where uh, oh yeah, that you mentioned and put it all together, I really have this thing of I want to collect stuff, but not too much of, uh, of <laughs> right. other stuff. So the idea was that you're trying to um, be the richest person in Sherwood Forest, but you don't want to be the richest person because then Robin Hood draws from you. Um, so you're so you're collecting a bunch of these um, commodities, and uh, they, they, these cards also happen to have little targets on them. And if you happen to have the most targets, then you've lost all of that commodity. Um, but you uh, and so everyone's uh, evaluation is done a little bit differently um, based on that, so that you're not completely hosed, but you're pretty hosed if you if you if you don't work things out just right. Um, the idea was that. Um, so that was like the, the core loop of it, but the, but the but the big thing I was trying to experiment with was, um, say you want to have a six-player game, you only had three players. Well, how easily could you add three more phantom players to the table? Um, and so I just made a bunch of different um, AI players that were just one card, and they had one rule on each of them based that would uh, that would describe what cards they would take into their uh, into their hand um, oh, when it came to their yeah. turn, um, and that was it. And so I just made, um, it was like Friar Tuck and Maid Marian and, and Robin Hood uh, himself. 
Um, and so each of them just had, had different uh, ways of behaving. And so that was the, that was like the main thing I was trying to experiment with. Um, and I need to revisit that because I think that's a kind of a cool idea. I mean, I, I think that's a brilliant idea personally. Like that sounds really creative having, I mean, because now you have the Otoma system, like if you want to play, you know, with, with fake characters and stuff, that, that seems like a good predecessor. All right, 2017, yeah. we have uh, Trickster Champions of Time, as you, you talked about already. And now we go into uh, Plume. Yeah. Uh, Plume was uh, was a fun um, like game that uh, I kind of co-designed with uh, one of the members of the Game Designers of North Carolina, uh, Drew Hicks. Um, and the idea is that uh, we had two different we had two different sets um, uh, of this deck uh, of this game. So you could play with one one deck or both decks combined. Um, there was, I think it was just a blue deck and a red deck, um, and those are I think both still available on Drive Cards. Um, but uh, but again, this was a, a fairly straightforward game where um, you're you're uh, acquiring cards by moving you know, around a grid, and the uh, um, and that controls which cards you have available to the next player. Uh, fairly fairly straightforward and simple. Uh, again, we were looking at something that was uh, like very approachable for uh, for like uh, family family weight titles. Very cool. All right, and uh, our computer is running it slightly slow. Sorry about that. No uh, Next one we're showing is Pencil Park. Oh yeah, um, Pencil Park is oh, gosh, this has a long history. Um, <laughs> I'll keep it brief. Uh, it's a so the idea is that um, I wanted to do a roller right game where the where that just used standard dice, but the gimmick of it was that the arrangement of the pips on a die face were the arrangement of squares that you would fill in on a, on a little map. Um, so hmm. if you rolled a three, it would be three squares in a diagonal line, either either going uh, left to right or, or right to left. Um, if you rolled a six, congratulations, that's a big, big old rectangle you have to deal with now, <laughs> which can be good because it fills a lot of spaces. But um, but it also is just an unwieldy shape that, that just blocks off a huge section of your map. Um, the the second hook of it is that you're rolling three dice, and the other two dice that uh, that you have not chosen to be your shape, you those are the numbers that you uh, that determine what you're filling in the arrangement that is uh, shown by the third die. Um, if that makes sense. So like, yep. there's just a list of there's a, there's a list of types of zones that could be filled in in your map um they're they're numbered from one to um one to twelve and so you would uh, if you if you or sorry two to twelve i should say so say for example you rolled a six a one and a three if you wanted to place six of a thing it would have to be the number four zone um and that has and that was just an experiment with a bunch of a bunch of different like Carcassonne style, um, suburbia style uh, tile placement, basically. Very cool. All right, and we're gonna go briefly go through these because um, I know that a lot of these are micro games with eighteen cards. I know Wonderland is one of those, um, as well as uh, Kintsugi. Kintsugi. Yep, yep. Uh, so Wonderland is is being picked up by um, uh, Level ninety nine Games, and it will be coming out um, under the title Grid Wave. Um, oh, okay. So look for that. Um, awesome. but yeah, um, I think you can still pick up Wonderland here and there, um, but, uh, but just look for Grid Wave coming, coming up at some, at some point in the next couple of months. Okay. Um, and, uh, Kintsugi was another co-design with another member of the Game Designers of North Carolina, um, and the idea was that, um, I brought this deck of cards to the, to the group, um, that looked like, um, 
the um, so there's a tradition in in, um, in Japan where uh, where you can repair pottery and um, and ceramics uh, that have been broken by just using um, gold to uh, reconnect all these pieces. And so it just highlights the the, the history of that piece rather than trying to hide it. Uh, it makes these these lovely pieces. But um, but I had these cards and I just kind of like the idea of like, okay, what if I just split up a card into four different zones with a little gold border and separate them all, and I uh, I rotated them higgledy piggledy with no real rhyme or reason. What can I do with this with with this deck? What what uh, what can I play with it? And so I started like moving things around the table and, and experimenting with it. Uh, but uh, another member of the group called uh, his name is Mark McGee. He really cracked this and made it actually a proper game. Uh, so really, I like I made a toy and he made a game out of that. Toy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, credit to him for, for coming up with that uh, with that game. Very cool. All right, uh, going back up a little bit more. We are in the 2018s, and now we're going to talk about one of your bigger games that you already touched base on real quick. The original is, version. Yep. Go ahead, Danny. That is Junk Orbit. Yeah, oh, you got the cylinder. Yep. <laughs> uh, the, uh, this game is, there we go. Uh, yeah, what to say about Junk Orbit. Um, it, it's based on the same mechanic that was from Penny Farthing Catapult all those years ago. Um, the idea is that uh, you're in a very low-budget ship, and your, en- your engine, so to speak, is just launching stuff off the backside of your ship. Um, the force with which you uh, launch is how far that junk is going to fly, and also how far your ship will go in the opposite direction. Um, and along the way, you're uh, doing these, rather than a single orbit around one central track, you're moving around Earth, Moon, and Mars in these figure eight patterns that uh, they're really fun to, to try to figure out. Yeah, I remember this one uh, hurting my brain, trying to figure out how it's <laughs> supposed to go which way and stuff like that. Yeah. We have a, a term in our game group. Um, we we call it "damn it games." I, I hate to use that term, but we we go, where basically as soon as one of us shows the other, it's like you know what, damn it, Daniel. That. Now I need to go back. This was one of those. This is why I own my copy because um, a friend of ours, Game Head Geek, happened to show me it, and I was like, okay, fine. I wasn't gonna, but I guess I will. Yeah. Good, good timing because this will be released for um, this year as a boxed game that contains the the base set. And also all of the promo cards that have been released uh, since that my first game came out. So so look forward to summer. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll have to look for it because I want to pick up myself a copy, but I don't have that much shelf space. No. So <laughs> and a cylinder. And let's all because the remake is going to be in an actual like box, yeah, standard box, right? Which I I rewatched the Dice Tower review of this uh, to prepare for this interview, and that was their only real argument against it was just this packaging. <laughs> It had nothing to do with the design, so say what you will. Um, you know, I, I think it's okay. You know, it's fine. Yeah, yeah it's fine. Um, Just I, a few more left, I think. Yeah, I hope, hope you know, we're almost done. Anthelion, I think. Anthelion, yeah, Anthelion Conclave right. of Power. Yeah, uh, this is like my third third bite of the apple of trying to make a system of games. <laughs> uh, where, uh, but this one was. Um, Really strongly influenced by by a game that uh, that uh, Bunchai already had uh, called Avignon. Um, I love that game. It was it's basically a uh, a five lane uh, um, like tug of war where you're trying to every card that you're pushing back and forth between two players has slightly different abilities, like uh, pushing and pulling other cards along with them and other stuff like that. 
Um, it, it's, a, it's a great idea, and I wanted to expand on that idea um, with a bunch of different other um, like card types and, and stuff. So I talked to the original game designer and also to uh, Button Shy Games with a bunch of ideas, and that was what ended up becoming Andelion. And then after that, as part of the, um, the campaign, uh, we also worked on a bunch of different little expansion packs that added different um, uh, different factions to the game, uh, each with their own um, interesting abilities. Uh, this is a lot of fun to work on, and hopefully someday we'll have a big box version of this that, that packs it all together. Uh, I, I really like this one. Right, because right now it's currently being published by uh, Button Shy, which again, 18 cards per pack normally. Yeah, did I say Button Shy? I, I want to make sure I got that right. Did say, yeah, I mean, it, it did say Button Shy on there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Button Shy. It is Button Shy. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, and then again, you talk briefly about it. I don't know if you want to talk about specifically the IP on this one. Uh, Space Battle Lunchtime. Oh, I think we're freezing up. Uh, Space Battle Lunchtime? Yep. yep. We had a little bit of lag uh, there. No Space worries. Space Battle Lunchtime. Oh, it's okay. Uh, Space Battle Lunchtime is a, uh, a very fun comic book by, um, uh, by Oni, Oni Press. Um, and uh, the idea is that um, the uh, there's a uh, interstellar uh, cooking competition uh, by, uh, with a bunch of different chefs from around from a bunch of different planets. Um, and this uh, the main character she gets abducted by aliens to compete in this uh, cooking competition. And the issue is that uh, of course she's a human. She has no idea what any of the alien ingredients are. Uh, so she's just kind of working by taste and, uh, and and doing doing her best. And that was the the core conceit of. of of the card game, um, what you're collecting is flavors because you have no idea what these ingredients are, <laughs> and, and you're trying to make these recipes that are just ridiculous stuff. And I had a lot of fun brainstorming a bunch of different alien recipes. Um, yeah. I think it was like like flavored solids and uh, like all sorts of weird stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, 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 can, you can pull up a couple of those. Uh, yeah, I'll pull up just a couple of really quick dish cards. Let's see here. We have Kitchen Nuggets. Um, yeah, not, not Chicken Nuggets. Kitchen Nuggets. Kitchen, kitchen Nuggets, nuggets. Yep. <laughs> Strawberry Adjacent Leg. Anti-Grav Gelato. Orion's Haunch. Yeah, just to name a few. I, you know, I want people to go buy this game and then and really delve into it because that was one of the. I didn't realize that going into it when I played it and when I started reading those cards, I was I was cracking up pretty good. <laughs> yeah, uh, the uh, I, I should credit also the the comic book is by Natalie Reese and she, she did all the illustration um, in the uh, in the card game as well. So it was just a huge boon to, to have her illustrating all of these funny little like alien recipes. Oh yeah, I mean, it, was this an IP that you wanted to work with before, or, or and this happened, or did you know this going into it? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love the comic. At the time, and Oni Press was looking for uh, ways to uh, make games out of their uh, out of their IP, uh-huh. um, and I showed um, uh, Monsoon Market uh, uh, to to Oni Press, and they're like, "Yeah, this this fits." And so it took some redevelopment. We added up sure. a, 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 a few new mechanics, like judges, mm-hmm. because it's a cooking competition. You have to have judges, of course. Um, so yeah. the judges do things. Um, there's a uh, a spatula that uh, that has a factor in in where mm-hmm. certain abilities occur. But um, aside from that, uh, the core gameplay of Monster Market pretty much is still there, but um, just a little bit enhanced. Yeah, very good. I love it. Yeah, and I was very impressed by it, honestly. Um, now, we have two last titles on your Board Game Geek page. One is Vulture Capital. I don't see a picture. Um, 
Yeah, I need to. Uh, that is way overdue. I, I need to actually put that out on Drive Through Cards. Um, it's a, uh, it's a it's a small card game that I've wanted to uh, make as a, uh, to readapt the um, the the mechanics from the Princess Bride card game. Mm-hmm. Um, since I have I have I have the rights to that system reverted back to me since the that card game is no longer in print, uh, and I just want to put it out there as a as a as a free game. So Vulture Capital is basically. Uh, basically, the Princess Bride card game with a different theme. So that's uh, I just need to get around to actually publishing it and putting it out there. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, the last we're... one we're showing here is the Cube Area Fifty One. Yeah. Oh gosh, I need to get more pictures on this uh, on this entry. This is a so uh, this game uh, is another co-design with uh, Drew Hicks, uh, and it was uh, there's this wild idea that uh, that I wanted to. Focus, <laughs> 3D looking game on a 2D surface, and so I I made these uh, tiles that were kind of diamond shaped, and when you lay them out um, against each other, they make uh, the illusion of a three surfaced room, so that there's two walls and a floor, uh, depending on how, how you're like looking down at it. Um, I wish there were pictures on on this entry. I need to I need to post them myself, um, but uh, but that was where the idea started, and uh, Drew Hicks and I. Uh, went back and forth about different themes and different ways of presenting some information that could that could be on these uh, tiles. Uh, the core idea of it was um, uh, we we liked the idea that um, you had basically three lines that were intersecting with each other, even though these were these were ostensibly a uh, uh, a 2D surface. So you had a row of tiles that went across both walls. You have a row of tiles that go across a wall and then down to the floor. And then you also have an opposing line, line of tiles that went from the opposite wall down to the floor. So each of these intersect at one tile, uh, and they all kind of um, they all actually confine the space. Uh, and the entire time, you're also just sort of like brain hurting because this visually looks so 3D, even just. I'll, I'll post up some. Some pictures on the uh, working geek uh, entry, so you can see what this looks like on the table. But yeah, it, it's really fun to, to actually see it um, in play. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm excited. And I like the Area 51 theme myself. That's uh, there's something about that. I've always I've always enjoyed the conspiracy level of that. All right. Well, then that reaches that reaches the end of the list. Is there anything that you have in the works that you want to talk about real quick, or anything that you're? Or I'm assuming you're if you're allowed to talk about. Yeah. We don't like to. Like you know, make you uh, spoil anything <laughs> along your lines, but um, what I'm allowed to talk about uh, sure. is uh, Grid Wave coming from uh, Button Shy Games, which is a new implementation of the Wonderland uh, micro game. Okay. Um, and then later this summer is going to be a new edition of Jump Orbit from Renegade Games that is in it a box. Um, and it has uh, the base game and all the content from the uh, promo packs and expansions all put together. Uh, so, oh, and this, it's also going to have bigger meeples, uh, the, the ship, the bigger, like, the ship, because I think it's about twice the size. Nice. That's fantastic. Awesome. Well, Daniel, okay. thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to do our little outro real quick. Um, we want to thank you all for tuning in. Uh, if you ever want to join us on one of our live chats, we didn't get a chance to say hi to some of our live chatters, uh, Corrupt Senate and uh, Massive Vault. Thank you for tuning in and saying hello. And uh, yeah, if you ever want to join us on a live episode, you can join us at twitch.tv slash everydayboardgames. As well as all video re-uploads are found on YouTube at Everyday Board Games 2020. And if, they're like, if you like what we do, there are three things you can do to help us grow on the platform. Subscribe if you're not. 
like the video, and comment down below and tell us your thoughts on the subject. As well as all audio versions can be found on most podcast platforms under Everyday Board Games Podcast. This includes Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, and Podbean. And if you want to contact us directly, email us at everydayboardgames2020 at gmail.com. And with that being said, we want to thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I've been your host, Daniel. And I've been your host, Daniel. And thank you for joining us. Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, we're 3D right now. <laughs> we're coming to you in 3D. Uh, Daniel, hang around with us for just a couple minutes. And then, uh, yeah, we want to thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you for listening to Everyday Board Games. And remember, every day is a good day for board gaming.